Well, good morning. Good to get to worship with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors, and I get the privilege of bringing you the word today. Uh, before we do that, well, I'll tell you what. Let me tell you where we're going. We're going to Psalm 72. And uh, as you're finding Psalm 72, I have a couple of announcements uh, that I want to get in before we jump into the word. Our ladies' brunch is coming up in just a couple of weeks. In three weeks, uh, we have a ladies' brunch happening here on September 23rd. And so we invite you women to come and enjoy fellowship together, hear some testimonies, eat some food together, and just have a good time. That's open to all ladies everywhere. So feel free to in- invite friends, neighbors, family members, whoever you want to bring with you. Next week, we're kicking off our small groups for the fall semester, and uh, we have several options. You can find those on our website, and uh, I encourage you to find a group that works for you. Next week, we're going to have all of the groups uh, represented out in the fellowship area. If you want to wait until then to explore the different group options, feel free to do that. We're also kicking off the small group uh, semester with a men's barbecue next weekend. And so Sunday night, we enjoy, uh, invite all men to come out and enjoy uh, some food and fellowship together with us. And then last and certainly not least, perhaps most important of all, I want to ask you to be praying. Uh, we've under, undergone uh, a significant amount of growth over, well, almost five years now since we began. There's been a steady increase But really over the last year, we've seen an explosion of growth. We've seen about 40% increase in Sunday attendance. You know, there are certain, yeah, that's great news. It's good news. There are different ways, uh, different metrics that that we pay attention to uh, um, in the church. And one of them is how many people are here on the weekend worshiping with us. And that number, like I said, has gone up about 40%. And it may not always go up 40% every year, but we've been kind of, looking ahead and you know we want to be faithful to have a, a vision and a plan that honors what God is doing here and accommodates for that growth. And so as we're looking ahead going, okay, we're kind of squeezing in here now, um, particularly when it comes to our kids' ministry. Our kids' ministry has had to be extremely creative over the past year to accommodate all the kids that are coming in. And so we've been looking at our different options. As you know, uh, those of you who come to the first service, parking can be very difficult. And uh, we've already taken some steps to expand parking and we're looking at more options. So we're looking at what can we do to accommodate the growth that's happening here. And uh, if we continue to see growth, which is never guaranteed, but uh, if we continue to see growth, even at a smaller percentage than what we've seen lately, uh, we're gonna have problems in a couple of years. Good problems, space problems. And so what I want you to do right now is just to be praying. Would you pray that God would give our leadership team uh, vision and wisdom and that we would, uh, as we explore different options, that we would come to conclusions that would be in accord with his plan for Redemption Church. And so please keep that in prayer, and um, I'll keep you updated as we explore those options, but um, for now, I just wanted to ask for you to support us in prayer. All right, let's go ahead and look at Psalm 72 together. It's about 20 verses, so bear with me as I read. Uh, We're gonna read the whole thing once, I'll pray, and then we'll jump into the message today. Verse one, God, give your justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring well-being Sorry, I bumped something on my iPad. May the mountains bring well-being to the people and the hills righteousness 
May he vindicate the afflicted among the people, help the poor and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May the king be like rain that falls on the cut grass, like spring showers that water the earth. May the righteous flourish in his days and well-being abound until the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coasts and islands bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all kings bow in homage to him. All nations serve him. For he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. He will have pity on the poor and helpless and save the lives of the poor. He will redeem them from oppression and violence for their lives are precious in his sight. May he live long. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May prayer be offered for him continually and may he be blessed all day long. May there be plenty of grain in the land. May it wave on the tops of the mountains. May its crops be like Lebanon. May people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. As long as the sun shines, may his fame increase. May all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders. Blessed be his glorious name forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are concluded. Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider your word, I pray that our hearts would be open before you. I pray that where we need to turn from sin and where we need to turn from what the world offers in contrast to what you offer, that we would be quick to repent and quick to trust in your salvation where we need to stand up and fight for justice and righteousness, may we be wise to do so. Father, I pray that as you paint a picture before us today of what it is like in your kingdom, may our hearts be drawn to serve you, to obey you, and to bring about your will in your kingdom here on earth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're wrapping up the Psalms for the summer. This is the last week we're gonna look at the Psalms. Next week we begin Revelation. And if you didn't uh, get your Revelation Scripture notebook yet, there are a few more of those out there available. By the way, let me give you a a tip uh, for bringing that with you every week. Put your name on it. (laughs) Uh, The front of it, inside the cover, put your name somewhere on there. There's about a hundred of those floating around here. And so it'd be very wise to be able to identify which one is yours from week to week if you happen to set it down. But before we get into, and this is gonna be a nice segue, I think, into the book of Revelation, which is very much about the kingdom of God, we wanna look at this psalm together. We wanna look at this psalm which is a psalm about God's king. Now, this had a very specific contemporary application in its day. It's likely this psalm was written by David. There's debate, it was either written by David or Solomon. Most think it was written by David. And it had to to do with what they were experiencing at the time, which they were the United Kingdom of Israel, which only lasted for three kings. And they were... They were ruled by a king who was to be God's representative among the Hebrew people at that time. 
But its application goes far beyond that because what we have in this psalm, I think, is a picture of what God intends his kingdom to be like. So what is God's kingdom? The first thing you see on the handout, I like this definition a lot. This, is, this came out of part of what we were teaching when we were over in Malawi a few weeks ago. Uh, this definition for the kingdom of God that you see on the handout is this. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place enjoying God's rule and blessing. It's, it's, it's three elements. It's his people in his place enjoying his rule and blessing. That's, I think, a, a, an adequate definition for the kingdom of God that helps make sense of what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation. Because in Genesis, what do we have? We have God's people, Adam and Eve. Where are they? Well, they're in God's place, the place that he wants them to live and to thrive and to, to enjoy his rule and blessing. They're in the Garden of Eden and they walk closely with God. They have an intimate relationship with him and therefore they're under his rule and enjoying his blessing. But that doesn't last long. And so what does God do next? Well, he sticks with his plan. He sticks with his plan to build his kingdom, including his people in his place, enjoying his rule and blessing. And he does that through Abraham and through the Israelite people. He, he selects a people among the earth. He gives them a place. He, he shows them what it's like to live, enjoying his rule and his blessing. Eventually, that gives way to what we call the church, which is where you and I live. Today, God's kingdom is expressed in his people, all of those who have believed in Jesus Christ, living in his place. Now it's all the earth as God is redeeming people from every nation, and we are living personally under his rule and blessing. However, his plan is to one day, this is what we're gonna see in the book of Revelation, his, his kingdom is going to consume the earth. He's actually going to recreate the earth and establish his kingdom so that his people, all who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, in his place, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, forever enjoying his rule and his blessing. So the question that, that needs to be answered is, what is the best form of government we're gonna get political here for a second. Not really. What is the best form of government for the prosperity and well-being of man? As Americans, we would say a democracy. I know there's a, there's a great deal of hesitation to saying that now, right? Because we're like, I don't know. It's not really going that well, right? Um, but the reality is is that the best form of government, if there were to be a perfect man, a perfect ruler, the best form of government would be to be ruled by one king. Let me unpack that a little bit. Charles Spurgeon, I'm gonna lean on him here. He says, the personal rule of one individual would be the best form of government if that individual were perfectly good, infinitely wise, and abundant in power. God has no fault or failing, and therefore it is a joy that he does according to his will. He never wills anything that is not strictly just. He is neither unjust nor unmerciful. He cannot err, and therefore it is a, a great subject for joy that the Lord reigns. You see, God's promise of 
a blessed and prosperous future for his people hinges upon his sovereign rule. If heaven is going to be led by a democracy or a republic or any other human form of government, I don't know that it's gonna be as good as we hope so. (laughs) If everybody gets a vote and everybody has a say, however, we get a little bit nervous at the idea of a supreme ruler. But what if that supreme ruler were perfectly good, infinitely wise, and all loving? Wouldn't it be best for him to take control and to rule over his creation? Well, that is exactly what God intends to do. He will rule sovereignly over his new creation, his people in his place, enjoying his rule and blessing. So what does this have to do with Psalm 72? Psalm 72 is a foreshadowing. It is, it is a taste of what God intends for his kingdom to be like. Through the righteous rule of King David, he is painting a picture for people and, and, and when I say the righteous rule, I mean the ideal of the righteous rule of King David more so than the reality, because the reality was flawed. The reality was, was marred by sin. But the ideal of God's king on his throne was a perfect kingdom. What does that perfect kingdom look like? I want to I I name a few things from this passage as we, as we look at Psalm 72, I've got five things here that we can expect to experience in God's kingdom, both now as he rules in our hearts, but in an even greater way in the future when he finally consummates his kingdom here on earth. In other words, the, these things are all true of the kingdom, which is now but not yet. That's, that's a a theological framework that a lot, of, a lot of people work out of, that these things are true now to some degree, but not yet to their fullest degree. If you have your hand out in front of you, let's go ahead and look at these together. Five things we need to know about God's kingdom. One, God's kingdom is ruled by justice and righteousness. His kingdom is ruled by justice and righteousness. I teased that I was gonna get political and I really didn't. Well, let, let, me just, let, me just, let me just ask you a question and, and I want you to answer this honestly. Is there a political candidate currently em- employed as a leader or not in which you can imagine if they took control the United States of America would be completely just and completely righteous. Okay. So when we talk about a kingdom that is ruled by justice and righteousness, there is a hunger with what we're experiencing today is a lack of justice and righteousness. Now let me just say this too. Relatively speaking, we have it very well. I, I said something last week about this blessed economy that, that we live in and I, there were groans in the room 
And, and I recognize that those groans are a result of, we know that, that some of us feel like things could be better. Let's say it that way. Some of us feel like there's room for improvement. But what I meant by a blessed economy is that looking at the world as a whole, there are a, 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 an unbearable number of human beings who live in a country or in a place where they have no economic opportunity. They couldn't get a job if they wanted to. They're, they, they're desperate just to get by. And in, in comparison to that, we have a blessed economy. Now, could our economy be better? And do we have hope that it will improve? Yes, of course. And so I say the same thing here when we talk about a kingdom that is ruled by justice and righteousness. Though we hunger, though we hunger for more, we live in a fairly decent place compared to other human beings. And we ought to be thankful for that. In fact, that quote that I read from Charles Spurgeon, in context, he goes on, to speak of the often overlooked blessing of living in the Western world and the governments which usually exist within the Western world in comparison to those who live under dictatorships or tyrannical leaders who impose their will upon people in oppressive ways, ways that you and I have not had to live through. However, all of that to say We've got a long way to go. God's plan for his creation is justice and righteousness. And, and the, the combination of these two things here in Psalm 72 gives us a picture of what, it's, what it, first of all, is, is like to be under King Jesus now, but what it'll be like in the future when, when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom and his rule on this earth, we will experience perfect justice, perfect righteousness. And so the psalm says in verse one, God, give your justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son. Not just for one generation, the psalmist is praying, but for the next generation as well, extend your just and righteous rule. Verse two, he says, he will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with justice. The emphasis here on the afflicted, on the oppressed, on the powerless to receive justice stands out in this psalm. He says, may the mountains bring well-being to the people and the hills righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted among you, help the poor and crush the oppressor. What would it be like, imagine with me what it'd be like to live in a kingdom where oppressors, those, those who use those with less power than them to satisfy their own desires. Those who prey upon powerless people in order to make themselves rich, in order to make themselves powerful, what would it be like to live in a kingdom where they are crushed? And where the people who are currently being crushed, the oppressed, the powerless, their well-being is what? Is 
the focus of the kingdom. That is the kind of kingdom that is being explained here. I mean, think about this. King David and his son, King Solomon, the the two kings that seem to be in view here in this psalm, lived in in a time where even more so than today, listen, this was before the internet by a couple thousand years. This was before people had the ability to spread ideas and to communicate with each other in an instant like we do today. And it was very easy for the powerful to keep oppressed and to keep down those that they ruled over. And so for basically all of human history until the last few hundred years, that's how every nation existed it was, it, was, it was kings who imposed their will on the less powerful. And here is David talking about a kingdom where the afflicted ones receive justice. This is unheard of. He's speaking of a kingdom where the afflicted will be vindicated and the poor will be helped. This was because he was not speaking of, out of his own imagination. He was speaking via the Holy Spirit about a kingdom which is still to come. A kingdom which is ruled by justice and righteousness. Next, the next thing we learn about God's kingdom from this psalm is that God's kingdom endures forever. One thing about earthly kingdoms is that if you don't like them, if you stick around long enough, it'll change. May not change for the better, but it'll change. You'll get a different ruler, you'll get a different king, you'll get a different dictator, it it doesn't matter. There, There is no such thing as an earthly kingdom that endures forever. They all fade. They all come to the same end, which is ruin. However, the kingdom of God will endure forever. Jesus will rule and he will reign forever. This is what the psalm says and means in verse five when it says, may they fear you while the sun endures. How long? Well, just as long as the sun endures. Now, will the sun endure forever? Not necessarily, I don't know. I don't know how that thing. I don't know how that thing works. I don't get it. <laughs> it's, there's a big ball of fire in the sky that just burns for. I don't know. But I'm assuming it has an expiration date. I'm assuming the sun will not endure forever. However, this is poetic language. This is this is meant to convey the idea of everlasting. As, as long as the moon throughout the generations, may the king be like rain that falls on the cut grass, like spring showers that water the earth. May the righteous flourish in his days and well-being abound until the moon is no more. This is a cry for an everlasting kingdom. This is a cry for an enduring kingdom. One of the frustrating things that all people throughout all history have had to deal with is that good things don't last forever. Nothing good in this world ever lasts forever. Everything comes to an end. 
whether it's a kingdom or a, a love relationship or a vacation or whatever, good things come to an end. And this is the cry of the human heart to be a part of a righteous and just kingdom which endures forever, which will never end, which will never give way to a lesser king. Jesus will rule forever. The sad thing about David's kingdom is it was very short-lived. David, David when, when he dies, his son Solomon takes over. And Solomon does realize some prosperity for the kingdom of Israel. It was mostly material prosperity, spiritual prosperity, not as much. And eventually Solomon turned away from the Lord and, and led Israel uh, away from spiritual wellness and prosperity. And then after Solomon, the kingdom fell apart, divided in two, was led mostly by bad kings until eventually the northern part of the kingdom was taken over by the Assyrians and people were taken into captivity. And then not long after that, the southern part of the kingdom taken over by the Babylonians and people taken into captivity in Jerusalem destroyed. If, if David was praying for an enduring kingdom and that is the end of the story, that is a sad story. If David's prayer for a kingdom that would last as long as the sun shines and as long as the moon glows. If, if David was praying for a kingdom that would bless people throughout all generations and that was the end of the story, just a couple of generations after his death, then what hope does this psalm point us to? However, we know that God's kingdom is not dependent upon the throne of Israel. God's kingdom, God has a plan for his kingdom through his son. And he sent Jesus Christ into the world to establish a kingdom that in Jesus' own words was not of this world. Amen. He came not to set in order political rulers on the earth. He came to set in order the hearts of human beings who needed to bow down before their creator king and receive his offer of salvation. And that kingdom endures forever. Next, we see that God's kingdom, you'll see this on the handout if you're following along, God's kingdom rules over all other kingdoms. It's the kingdom that rules over all other kingdoms. This is why Jesus is called the king of kings. Because his supreme authority is not just over a small minority of people. His supreme authority is over all of creation. The psalmist prays, may he rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates, that's a, a river in the Middle East, to the ends of the earth, meaning everywhere. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coasts and islands bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all kings bow in homage to him. All nations serve him. David is saying as far away as you can imagine, may those kings come and bow to this king. Because God's kingdom rules over all other kingdoms. 
really excited to get into the book of Revelation because what we're going to see in the book of Revelation is a sometimes wild depiction of, but a very impactful image of God's supreme authority over all other kings and kingdoms. And that Jesus has already been appointed to rule over the nations of the earth. But 3,000 years ago, David was already talking about this. David was, was already prophesying that there would one day be a king whom all nations would come and pay homage to him. Now, there was a partial fulfillment of this under King Solomon as the surrounding nations came and they offered him gifts in exchange for his wisdom and they paid homage to him. God blessed that earthly expression of his kingdom through Solomon, but it was short-lived. It was short-lived and it, and, it, and it didn't really extend as far as David describes here. But one day there will be a new king on the throne. It'll be the true return of the king when Jesus comes and he rules over all kingdoms. Next, we see that God's kingdom frees the oppressed. His kingdom frees the oppressed. Again, this is one of those things that's so surprising to see here because it, this sounds like something we would talk about today. This sounds, this sounds more like the social, social justice movement of the 21st century than what we would expect to hear a king 3,000 years ago in the Middle East saying. However, this, this is, again, this is not from David's imagination. This is the heart of God's kingdom being expressed through his words. Verse 12, for he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. He will have pity on the poor and helpless and save the lives of the poor. He will redeem them from oppression and violence for their lives are precious in his sight. How, what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us in 2023 in Western Pennsylvania Lower Borough, wherever you live, what does it look, for, look like for us to hold as precious in our sight the victims of our world today? What does it look like for us to care for the powerless, the helpless, those who are truly poor? What does it look like for us to to flesh out this expression of God's kingdom today to rescue the poor, to help the afflicted who have no helper. When we were over in Malawi, um, <laughs> there was a kid, did, I don't know if I already talked about this. Um, some of you won't, won't understand this. Um, well, let me tr just try to explain it. No, I, I can't explain it. Um, <laughs> So there, there was a little boy that had a shirt on that said, put it in reverse, Terry. 
And I don't know how many of you know that viral video um, where the guy in the wheelchair was setting off fireworks and then got trapped. It's, it, it all turned out well. This sounds like a bad story. It all turned out well. And he became internet famous and his name was Terry. And there was this guy screaming, back it up, Terry. Put it in reverse, Terry. And this guy, it's a hilarious video. You should look it up. The guy's fine. That's what you need to know. But there's this kid in Malawi wearing this t-shirt reflecting this internet sensation that happened mostly here in the United States. And anyhow, this kid followed us around and he, he chased after our van and he knew, um, he knew enough English to say, give me money, please. <laughs> and and don't, don't feel bad for him. He was a little punk, but... <laughs> He was following us around saying, give me money, please. And then, and then we stopped at one point and he caught up to us and he said, I speak English or something like that. And we we're like, yeah, I can tell. You learned how to say, give me money, please. But uh, as, as, as that, ki- that kid is representative of an entire nation of people who have no economic hope whatsoever, none Like it's depressing when you're there and you think, what prospects do these people have to go and make money? Now, I understand that here in in our society, in the US, let's say, let's just say specifically in our country, there there is relative inequality. It is easier for some people to to get money or to get ahead in life than for others. But we all have pretty good opportunities, right? Let's, let's say that anybody who, who really, really wants to can probably do okay, with a few exceptions, I'm sure. When you compare that to places like Malawi and so many other places on the earth where, that, where there is, like the thought of a young man wanting to earn some money during his time off from school here in the United States by going out and knocking on his neighbor's doors and saying, can I mow your grass? And in exchange for money, like that just doesn't exist. Like they don't have money to give you. They're the adults. One of the things that's challenging doing ministry over there is the adults and even the Christian adults can, can be sort of deceptive and conniving because, and, and there, there have been ministry partners that we have worked with that have kind of been deceptive and, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of, well, they'll lie. I'll just, just say it, they'll lie. They'll lie in order to get more resources and you have to be very aware of that and very careful of that over there. But as I look around, I go, you know, I almost can't blame them. I do, I I mean, and and we hold them accountable to that because that's not okay. As Christians, we cannot do that. But what other options do they have? When When a white person from America shows up who's already given out money for projects and resources and stuff like that, it, it engages a, a different level of desperation. If, if you have no economic prospects and here in front of you is somebody that represents money that could come your way, it, it changes people's behavior. And I say all that to say, as a church, when it comes to 
carrying out God's wishes for his kingdom here on earth, we need to be mindful of the reality that our experience here in the U.S. is very unique, very unique. There are billions of people around the world who need someone to take up their cause. Now, we can't take up all of their cause, but we can focus somewhere on someone and champion the cause of the truly poor, the truly helpless, the truly oppressed, those who, and, and, you know, in Malawi, it's, it's not for lack of trying from the international community, but it's just, it's a country that's led by corrupt people, and every time money flows into the country, the leaders at the top keep it for themselves. And that's why the, the country is living in poverty. One of the reasons why the country is living in poverty. That's oppression. That's oppression on a biblical level. That is oppression that, that we have a responsibility to respond to in some way, somewhere, somehow. We have to be determined as a church and as individual Christians that as part of our role in God's kingdom is is to bring about justice, is to bring about the well-being of the poor and the helpless. And we must do so wisely, but we must do so with compassion. And I, I, I wanted to make that clear because I'm a product of our culture, just like you are. And I know the proclivity towards callousness because of, of, of what we live in. We, we all see people take advantage of others' soft and kind hearts. We all see people who are not truly poor in the biblical sense, who are um, just abusing others, abusing a system that is very gracious towards people living in poverty. And we can become calloused. And we have to be careful to, to ensure that when it comes to building the kingdom of God, that we look out for those who are truly poor and truly oppressed because God's kingdom frees the oppressed and we wanna see that be a reality. One more. The last thing about God's kingdom that I wanna look at from this psalm is that God's kingdom results in praise and prosperity. His kingdom results in praise and prosperity. Let me just review where we've been so far. So God's kingdom is ruled by justice and righteousness his kingdom endures forever. His kingdom rules over all other kingdoms. God's kingdom frees the oppressed. And last but not least, God's kingdom results in praise and prosperity. And, and one of the things that you see as you become more and more familiar with the story of Scripture and, and the doctrine that presents itself as you read through Scripture is that God's glory and man's well-being are not opposing ideas. That God's glory and man's well-being go hand in hand. That where God is glorified, where he is praised, where he is exalted, where he is made much of prosperity, I, and I, I hate to use that word um, because I don't, I don't mean that in the abusive sense, uh, but prosperity, meaning the well-being of the people who live under his rule is, is exalted as well. We see this in verse 15 and following. It says, may he live long. 
May gold from Sheba be given to him. May prayer be offered for him continually. And may he be blessed all day long. May there be plenty of grain in the land. May it wave on the tops of the mountains. May its crops be like Lebanon. May people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever as long as the sun shines. May his fame increase and may all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. Do you see the marrying together of praise for God and the good king that he is and the prosperity of the people who live under his rule? May he be blessed, may he be praised, may he be glorified, and may there be plenty for the people. I love that image of, may there be plenty of grain and land, may it wave on the tops of mountains. Look, the, the tops of mountains and the tops of hills is the hardest place to grow crops. And so this, this is a picture of a kingdom that is overflowing with prosperity. Even on the tops of the mountains, we have a harvest. This is the vision of what it's like to be in God's kingdom. He is praised and he is exalted and his people prosper. His people have all that they need. They live in abundance. They flourish. They enjoy his just and righteous rule. The poor and oppressed are lifted up. The, the oppressors are vanquished and everyone lives Enjoy. Now, the fulfillment of this psalm in David's day was, like I said earlier, just a foreshadowing of what is to come because as much as David and his son Solomon may have, may have lived out some of these principles here, there's really only one king who can do everything that Psalm 72 describes, and that's King Jesus. He's the only king who can rule perfectly righteously and perfectly in justice. He's the only king that can truly free the oppressed. He's the only king worthy to rule over all other kingdoms. He's the only king whose kingship will endure forever, and he is the only king who is truly concerned with the prosperity of his people. King Jesus is the king who meets all of these criteria. And he's the king that, that David was foreshadowing. He's the king that would come into the world to begin to establish his kingdom a thousand years after David in the hearts of men and women on the earth from every tribe, from every nation, from every corner of the earth. And he is the king who is one day going to return and establish his righteous rule on the earth. And we will have a perfect king. And so we praise him. We bow down to him now in worship. We, we, we live our lives enjoying his rule and his blessing in our lives. And we seek to advance his kingdom through the sharing of the gospel as men and women today continue to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and get added to this kingdom. The question is, 
Have you received King Jesus into your heart and into your life? Have you bowed your knee in repentance and faith and trust and become a citizen of his kingdom? Would you pray with me? Fathers, we consider what it means to look forward to this kingdom, which we are already a part of, but not yet fully. We are citizens in your kingdom and your kingdom exists in our hearts and in our lives as your people, as your, as your people respond to you with praise and worship and obedience. But we look forward to the day when your kingdom will be established on earth. And all other kings will be set aside and give way to the one true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Father, in preparation for that day, May we build your kingdom here on earth as we are able through freeing the oppressed, serving the poor, preaching the gospel, loving our neighbor, and doing your will. Build your kingdom here among us, not just in Lower Borough and not just in Western Pennsylvania, but all over this earth. May we, united together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, from every nation, from every language, from every tribe. Do your will and do your work to build your kingdom. Father, if there's anybody here today who is not a part of that kingdom through the rebirth that is promised through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that today you would put it in their hearts to turn from their sin, to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and to begin to live as citizens of this kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.